You're listening to Different, a sermon series about what it means to be a Christian. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. All right, man, I'm excited. I'm excited about being in God's house. Hope you are too. Hope you are. So uh, as we start the message, look at the person sitting next to you and tell them they look beautiful today. Tell them, tell them. They'll never look as beautiful as you do, but they do. They look good. Tell them thanks for sitting by you. Hey, it is good to see you today. If you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We are in week four of a series we've been in now for a little while called Different, Different. And, and what we've said throughout this series is that there are a lot of times where we may uh, look similar, we may dress similar, we may uh, talk similar, but really at our core, God has called us to be different from the world. One of the verses we keep referring to is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And in that verse, Paul tells us, he says, do not conform to this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. What does that mean? It means do not look like the world. Don't act like the world. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, we are to be different. And so far in this series, what we have talked about is how we are supposed to have a different faith. As followers of Christ, we have a different faith than the faith that people in this world have. Not only are we supposed to have a different faith, but uh, we're supposed to have different values than the values people of this world have. Last week, we talked about how we have a different calling than the people of this world have. And today, I want to talk to you about how we are supposed to have different actions. We are supposed to have different actions than the actions of the people in this world. Now, I am a child of the 80s. I am. Uh, I was born in the 80s, and I think the 80s were one of the best decades. And I'm not just saying that because it's when I was born. You know what I mean? There were other great things that happened in that decade, right? Like, have you ever really thought about some of the things that we can thank the 80s for? Like the toys from the 80s. How many of y'all know they had some great toys in the 80s? Like my favorite toy, I got a picture of it for you guys on the screen, was Teddy Ruxpin. Y'all remember that? Anybody have a Teddy Ruxpin, man? Dude, I had a Teddy Ruxpin. And if you don't know what a Teddy Ruxpin is, what it was, what it was, it was a cassette player, okay? Some of y'all are like, what's a cassette? I don't even know what that is. Well, see, long before there was iTunes and the Apple Store, what they had were these things that were called cassettes. And what they were, were they were cartridges that had this magnetic tape in them that music was imprinted on. And you could put it in a tape, a cassette player, and it would play the music. Well, Teddy Ruxpin, what he would do is there were books that you could buy. And you could put the book in the back of Teddy Ruxpin. You could press play, and he'd start moving his mouth. Like he was reading that book to you. He didn't move. He just, he just kind of moved his mouth. You know what I'm saying? And so that was amazing. But even more amazing than listening to a book from a Teddy Ruxpin, man, would be putting uh, uh, an 80s rapper cassette in there, man. And that's how I used to do it, man. Uh, man, I used to listen to Too Short, and I used to listen to Kid and Play, and even MC Hammer, you know what I mean, from Teddy Ruxpin. You know, you, you, you hadn't lived till you seen Teddy Ruxpin sing You Can't Touch This. 
I mean, he don't move, you know what I'm saying? But, man, me and Teddy, man, we used to chill. That's how we used to roll. But the 80s, they had some great toys. The 80s even had some great movies. Some of y'all know they had some great movies. Like, I got a couple pictures of some movies. Back to the Future. Anybody you remember that, man? I loved that movie when I was a kid. Not only that, they had Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Anybody you like that movie right there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's another great one, The Great Outdoors. Man, I used to laugh at that bear all the time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, man, I love that one. And then what about The Goonies, right? Hey, you guys. Man, I love that movie. And this one. I never liked this movie. <laughs> never. But my wife, man, this is one of her favorite movies. She would watch this movie over and over and over again. Even as we've been married, if this movie's on television, she wants to, she wants to watch it. And I remember not too long ago, I came into the house, you know, and there on the screen was Dirty Dancing. You know what I mean? She's a preacher's wife, but she still likes this movie. And so, and so she's watching Dirty Dancing and, and Patrick Swayze in there. He had his shirt off. You know what I mean? And she's just looking at that video screen, you know, that TV. And it's like she's not even paying attention to me. And have you ever, you know, again, have you ever tried to talk to somebody and you know they're not listening to you? I tried to talk to her and it was just, you know, she's looking at TV. I tried to get her attention and she's just smiling like she's off in la-la land, a little drool coming from her mouth, you know. And I'm not really the jealous type, you know. But I look at Patrick Swayze and he's at the scene. He's lifting that girl up in the air when they're in a pond or wherever they are. I don't even know. But he's lifting her up in the air while they're practicing. This isn't the real, the real dancing, but they're practicing. And she's just smiling in la-la land. And I just, I just look at her and I said, Amanda, if you take away all that man's money, all his muscles, all his flowing hair and his dance moves. What are you left with? She just looks at me and says, you. You know what I mean? That's what she's like. Never liked that movie, man, the 80s, man. But, but seriously, a lot of good movies in the 80s, even great music from the 80s, right? Jenny, don't change your number, 86. Yeah, some of y'all grew up in the 80s, man. You love it, man. I love it. But there was also, look at these guys here. These guys came out in the 80s. How many new kids on the block fan out there? Man, look, my wife again, she is a new kids freak, man. And so people would lose their mind over the new kids on the block. They had, they had you know, you got the right stuff, baby. You know what I'm talking about? You might know that song. Oh, 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 hanging tough. Anyway, I'll be loving you forever. I'm trying to get in on the praise team. They won't let me sing up here. But, man, you know, there were all kinds of people who lost their mind over the new kids on the block. They had, they had curtains with the new kids on the block on them. They had blankets with the new kids on the block on them. They had uh, pillows. They even had a trapper keeper. How many of y'all remember the trapper keeper back in the 80s? Man, they had a new kids on the block trapper keeper. And I went to school with this girl who always told everybody. She went around telling everybody, I'm related to one of these new kids on the block. So she, like, she said she knew everything about these guys, again, because she was related to them. But guess what? She really wasn't related to them. She was lying. But she did know a whole lot of information about the new kids on the block. And you know why she uh, knew a lot of information about the new kids on the block? Again, this was way before the internet. She actually would get magazines, right? And she would read articles about these guys. And so she would just tell everybody all this stuff to try to get us to think that she really knew these people personally. But again, she didn't. Well, in the Bible, uh, if you read the Bible, there's a group of religious people, religious leaders that are known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they knew a lot about God. 
They knew a lot about God. When somebody wanted to play Bible trivia or Bible uh, Bibleopoly or, or Bible baseball, whatever it was, I mean, these guys, they dominated whatever game they were playing. They knew all about God. But if you read and study the New Testament, what you're going to find out is that they might have known about God, but they didn't know God. Because if they really knew God, their actions would have been much different. In fact, here's how Jesus describes the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 8. He says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Do you see that? Jesus, again, he says about these religious people, the Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips. They know a lot about me. They even say a lot about me, but their hearts are far from me. And what I want you to know today is that that description right there, that description still describes a lot of people who claim to follow Christ Today, their description, again, it still suits people who claim that they love God. Just like the Pharisees, they really are. There are a lot of people who make sure that they come to church regularly. They, they might even read their Bibles every now and then. They might even post a, a Bible verse on Facebook so that people will see how spiritual they are. Yet, they've yet to surrender their lives completely to Christ. And because they haven't surrendered their life to Christ, there's something, something not pleasing to God about the actions and the way that they live their life. Again, if you and I are followers of Christ, if we're really Christians, there should be something different about our actions. Now, the Bible tells us an interesting story in Luke chapter 7. That's where we're going to be uh, for the majority of the time that we got this morning, Luke chapter 7. But I want you to see this interesting story that, that we read about starting in verse 36. This, the Bible says this. It says, then one of the Pharisees, again, these religious people we've just been talking about, then one of the Pharisees invited him, invited Jesus to eat with him. And so Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, let me let me stop for just a second because long before they had evening of worships and, and potluck meals and even long before they had El Sombrero, it was like an honor to invite the preacher, invite the pastor, invite the religious leader over to your house for a meal. And so Jesus, what happens here is he finishes teaching. He finishes teaching and a Pharisee by the name of Simon invites Jesus over to his house to eat. Now, what I want you to understand is that Jesus should have been the guest of honor at this meal. He should have been the guest of honor at this meal, but what we're about to see uh, with Simon is that Simon really wasn't interested in getting to know Jesus. Simon wasn't really interested in trying to honor uh, Christ. See, see, during this time, there were certain rules of etiquette. There were certain things you were supposed to do if you had a guest in your home. And uh, some of these rituals, some of these things, they kind of sound, or customs, they sound kind of weird to us because, again, we're, we're in the 2000 and, you know, teens or whatever. I don't know what you actually call them, the teens, right? The 2000 teens. That's where we are. So some of these things that they did would be kind of weird to us, right? So like, what are some of these customs? Well, the first custom that, you know, was really uh, something they were supposed to do is that they were supposed to uh, uh, kiss the guest. They were supposed to kiss the, the guest. So if the guest was of equal social rank 
as the person who was hosting this dinner, the, the, the person who was hosting would kiss the guest on their, on their cheek, okay? They'd kiss them on their cheek. Now, if the person who was attending the meal was of higher social rank than the individual hosting the meal, what the host would do is they would kiss the individual's hand. They would kiss the individual's hand. Now, uh, how many of you have ever done that when somebody comes to your house to eat, eat, eat dinner? Uh, that's kind of weird, right? Uh, like if you're a dude and you invite me and my wife over uh, to your house to eat and, you know, you go to kiss my hand or kiss me on the cheek, I'm be like, dude, I'm a little uncomfortable, okay? Uh, that makes me, makes me a little uncomfortable. But can you imagine, can you imagine really seeing a man kind of lean in to, to kiss you on, on your cheek? Man, that, you know, it'd be a good way to get a throat punch in Jesus' name, right? In Jesus' name, of course. And so, and so that's what should have happened, though. This was a custom during this time. If you didn't kiss the guest, it would be like openly ignoring the person today. It would be like someone coming to your house, knocking on the door, you opening the door to them, seeing them and smiling, and then slamming the door in their face. That would be what this would be like. So, so what's happening here, again, uh, is, is it's, it's, it's really insulting to Christ. Another custom that is a little odd to us today that would have been normal for these individuals was the washing of of the feet. So they would wash their feet before they ate. We wash our hands before we eat, or at least we're supposed to, right? Uh, I know some people who just go into the bathroom and turn the water on and just pretend like that's what they did, right? It's, uh, it's too much effort to put soap and water on my hands and then use a towel. I'll just pretend and fake it. Anybody know anybody like that? Come on now, be honest. Yeah, I see some people raising their hand back there pointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's really people who do that. But you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat. Well, during this time, they would wash their feet. Now, I'm not real sure why they did that. Maybe it was because that's how they passed rolls or something like that. Here you go. You want one of these? I don't know. Uh, but they would do that. They would wash feet. And so that doesn't happen in this situation. Uh, at the very least, if you didn't wash their feet, you would offer them some water in a towel so that they could wash their feet themselves. But again, that doesn't happen. No kiss, no washing of the feet. Another thing that you would do is you would anoint your guest with oil. You would anoint their head with oil. These were considered very hospitable uh, gestures, you know what I'm saying? But, but when Jesus comes to the house, there's not a kiss of greeting, there's not a washing of the feet, and there's certainly not any anointing of his head with oil. So I want you to understand these weren't accidental oversights. Again, Simon's not trying to really get to know Jesus. He's just really trying to insult Jesus. He's really just trying to, trying to, trying to ignore him. How do, I, how do I know this? Because think about who Simon is. He is a Pharisee. He had spent his entire life studying the Word of God. A Pharisee, by the age of 12, they had memorized the first 20 books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. They memorized all these books. They didn't just memorize their names. They memorized the entire content of those books. And then by the age of 15, they had memorized the entire Old Testament, the entire Old Testament. So that means that Simon had committed to memory over 300 prophecies about the Messiah. He had memorized over 300 prophecies about the Savior, yet he doesn't realize it is the Messiah and the Savior sitting across the table from him. If he had realized that, 
his actions would have been much, much different. He just didn't know. Just didn't know. So is that why our actions aren't much different than the actions of the world? Or is the reason why our actions are so similar to the actions of the world because we, we don't really know who Jesus is. I mean, we might have some information about Christ, but it's the reason why we don't act different. Now, the reason why our actions aren't different is it because, again, we don't really know who Christ is. Is that why? So let me give you three things this morning I want you to know. Uh, the first thing, if you're keeping notes, you want to write them down. When it comes to really having different actions, you need to understand that God knows you intimately. God knows you Intimately. Now, when we hear that word intimate, some of us kind of get weirded out, but uh, uh, let, me, let me give you some, some biblical facts. And again, um, hopefully I'm speaking to a mature audience who doesn't mind me uh, really preaching the word of God. Uh, amen? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, and so probably the most accurate word in the Bible when it comes to, to really being intimate is the word no. It's the word no, okay? Uh, the first time that that word is used within the context of a relationship is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, the King Jimmy says it like this. It says, Adam knew his wife. Adam knew his wife. Now, the Hebrew word that's used right there for knew or for no is the word yada. Everybody say yada. Yada. Okay, so bear with me. Bear with me here, okay? So uh, it means to know or to be completely known by. That's what that word actually means. And so here's how the Holman Christian Standard uh, you know, writes out Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Adam was intimate with his wife, meaning that Adam completely knew his wife and Eve completely knew Adam. So don't, don't, don't. So what you got to understand, I guess, is that Adam and Eve, they yada, yada, yada. You know what I'm saying? They yada, yada, yada. That's what's going on here. And so, but again, this is, this is not, don't, don't get confused. This is more than just a physical knowledge. It's more than just a, a, a physical pleasure because even though uh, physical knowledge and physical pleasure is involved with, with knowing uh, or are the result of their yada, 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 what I want you to understand is that this is not just like a sexual term. That's not what this is meaning there, because if it was, there were plenty of other Hebrew words that could have been used, that could have been used. And so that's not what it's actually talking about. Again, it's talking about this intimate connection. Some scholars actually say it's this commingling of the souls, where, where they're so deeply, again, connected to, to one, one another. And so what I want you to understand is that that word yada, all throughout the Old Testament, what you'll see is that over and over and over again, that is the same Hebrew word that is used to describe the way God knows us and God's relationship with us. He knows us on a very deep Level. God knows us more than we actually even know ourselves. In Psalm 139, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this. It says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Then it goes on to say this. It says, you know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts 
from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. God knows us. He knows us. And that brings me to the next thing that I want you to to see this morning is that not only does God know you intimately, but God wants you to know him intimately. God wants you to know him the same way. See, the same word that is used to describe a man and a wife is the same word that's used to describe the relationship that we actually have with God. For some strange reason, The creator of the universe, he looks at you and he looks at me and he invites us into this deep relationship. He opens up his arm, he opens up his heart and he says, I want to know you and I want you to know me more closely than you know anyone else. He wants us to know his heart. He wants us to know his thoughts. He wants us to know his ways. Again, it's a relationship that is so, so intimate that that's the only way it can be described. But again, it's not talking about some sort of sexual knowledge. He just wants us to know him on a very personal level and a level that can only be described that way. But most of us don't do well with intimacy, right? We don't do well with allowing other people to really know us. We do a very good job at putting on masks, right? Putting on masks when we're around certain people, uh, like we come to church and we have this mask on, like we're perfect and that everything in our life is great. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got maybe, you know some folks that are like that. Yeah, anybody just me? Pray for me. Okay, thanks. Uh, but again, most people who come in, they like, got this mask of perfection on. It's a lie. Husbands and wives, if you're going to fight, when's it going to happen? On the way to church, right? It's going to happen on the way to church. I mean, you're going to be like, honey, why is it taking you so long to get ready? And when she's finally ready, if you don't have your shoes on, whose fault is it that you're late? Just, and y'all don't. I guess a man and not in here. So it don't matter if I get in trouble. A couple people being out. But I mean, it's, it's the husband's fault, right? Parents, if you're going to get into a fight with your kids, when's it going to happen? On the way to church, you'll be yelling at one another and screaming, and then you'll pull up in the parking lot. You'll be like, okay, kids, we're here. Put on a happy face. <laughs> right? And we walk in like everything is perfect, and it's not that way. Some people, again, they put on these masks because they don't want to let people get close to them and really know them because they're afraid that if they let people get to know them, they're going to find out some things about them that they don't like. And that they're going to actually find out some things about us that we're not really proud of. But I want you to see something. Again, back to the story in Luke chapter 7. Watch this, starting in verse 37. The Bible says, and a woman in the town who was a sinner... Some translations are going to actually say that she was a a woman of ill repute. Ill repute, what's that? That means that she was a woman of the streets. I don't mean that she lived on the streets. I mean that she worked the streets, okay? So she was a woman of the streets. And so what does the Bible say? It says she found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in one of the Pharisees' house. Let me stop again because... I'm not really sure where the first connection between this woman and Jesus took place, but apparently she had heard Jesus's teaching. Maybe it was earlier that day, and when she heard the teachings of Jesus, something happened in her 
heart. So what, what was his teaching on? What was it that caused her to, to really make such an impact on her life? Was it the fact that Jesus talked about forgiveness? Maybe, maybe she sat and listened to Jesus as he spoke about how God can forgive anyone of anything. And as she sat there and listened to Jesus, maybe her eyes filled with tears, her heart was moved. I don't know, maybe Jesus' teaching was on redemption. And maybe as Jesus was speaking, she realized that God could put back together all the broken pieces in her life. Maybe, maybe it wasn't even what Jesus taught. Maybe it was the way that Jesus looked at her. Maybe the way that Jesus looked at her just communicated to her love and value and that she was a beloved child of God. And maybe when Jesus finished teaching, she just knew that God had not given up on her. Even if everybody around her had given up up on her, even if she had given up on herself, God was not giving up on her. Maybe that's what happened. And so maybe, maybe as she, she had whispered to herself, there's still hope. There's still hope for me. It's not too late for me. Someone like me really can follow him. And so this woman, again, she's desperate to see Jesus. Maybe she heard, she overheard someone say, hey, Jesus is having dinner at the house of Simon the Pharisee, and it was a dinner that she knew she'd never be invited to, not in a million years, because I can't help but believe that during her lifetime, she had experienced the eyes of judgment from these Pharisees, from these religious leaders. They looked at her with eyes of judgment because of the way she lived her life and because of the things that she did. But now, right now, she wasn't interested in the Pharisees. She didn't care about the Pharisees. She just wanted to see Jesus. She's desperate to see him. And so she shows up at this dinner party, uninvited, not caring again what anybody else thinks. The only person she wants to see is Jesus. And what she does next, man, it's reckless. It's, it's, it's almost crazy. It really, it really is. But it's exactly the kind of actions that God wants his followers to have. So picture this scene. Jesus is reclining at this table. They didn't have tables like you and I have where they sat in chairs. They sat on the floor at a table and they would lean up against the table with their elbow, with their elbow. And so Jesus is reclining at this table. She walks in uninvited, unannounced, and she stands at the filthy feet of Jesus. Now, we don't like to think about Jesus having filthy feet, but I mean, we like to think, hey, Jesus always wore this bright white robe with a purple sash and had this glowing halo around him. You know what I mean? That's what Jesus looked like. But I believe that at this point in his life, Jesus' feet were probably stanky, okay? I believe at this point in his life that his feet might have even had some blisters on him. He might have even had athlete's foot. I, I don't even know. But he walked the same filthy roads as everybody else walked. And so she stands right by his feet. And the table grows silent. No one is saying anything. Everybody is watching. Everybody knows who she is. And they're wondering why in the world is she here? What is she about to do? What, what is someone like this doing at our dinner? And so she probably looked around at the guest and could feel those same eyes of judgment coming on her, but she looks at Jesus. She looks at Jesus, and maybe Jesus is looking at her with a smile. She looks at Jesus, and again, Jesus is making eye contact, 
with her. And as he does, she sees that she has value. Maybe Jesus is looking at this woman the same way a loving father would look at their daughter when they walk into a room and they would light up. And she's just filled with compassion. It's something she's never felt before. And so watch what she does in verse 37. The Bible says, She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. First off, man, look at her actions. She falls on the ground and begins kissing the feet of Jesus. She's crying uncontrollably. I I want you to picture this. She's crying, and as she's crying above his feet, her tears hit his dirty feet, and those tears kind of make muddy streaks on his feet. And she's thinking, nobody washed the Savior's feet? Nobody did this? Well, she wasn't going to ask for a towel. She wasn't going to ask for permission. So what she does is she lets her hair down, which is everybody when this happened would have been shocked because during this time, women wore their hair up. If they were to let their hair down in front of a man who was not their husband, this would have been considered grounds for divorce. So she lets her hair down in front of Jesus, and when she does again, they're shocked. Everybody in the room. She begins washing Jesus' feet with her tears. She's drying them with her hair. Jesus doesn't look at her actions and say, what in the world are you doing? Are you crazy? Why are you doing this? And do you know why he doesn't do that? Because Jesus wants you to know him. God wants you to know him again on an intimate level, a deep level. And that brings me to the last thing that I want you to see. Not only does God know you intimately, not only does God want you to know him, but knowing God, knowing God, if you know God, you express it through your actions. If you know God, you express it through your actions. Think about your actions. Do they prove to others that you actually know God? Not that you have some knowledge about him, but that you really know him. Think about this woman and her alabaster flask. Think about this. This was was something that would have been worn around her neck. It was a perfume. And if, and if you think about her occupation, this would have been something that was very important to her. It was something that she had used over and over and over again, one drop at a time with many different men. But right now what she's doing is she's emptying it on the feet of Jesus. She empties the whole thing. She pours it out. Why? Because she doesn't need it anymore. She doesn't need it anymore. She's been changed. She's giving up her past. Her actions prove right here that she knows God. She knows what God wants from her, and she's willing to give it to him. So she pours out this flask. She pours out her life to the one who gave his life for her. When was the last time that you poured out your life to Christ? Do your actions prove that, in fact, that is what you have done? Do my actions prove, again, that I have poured my life, the best that I have, all that I have, have I poured myself out to Christ? Because if you do this type of thing, 
the world won't understand. The world will look at you like you are crazy. Look at verse 39 of Luke chapter 7. The Bible says this, when the Pharisees who had invited Jesus, not this woman, when they saw this, they said to themselves, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. See, Simon sees all that this woman does for Jesus, her embarrassing actions, and he thought, how stupid. How dumb. The same way people of the world will look at you and me if we are actually followers of Christ, they'll look at our actions and say the same thing. Oh, you go to church on Sunday? That's dumb. You read the Bible? It was written so long ago, it didn't, have, it didn't mean anything to us today. That's dumb. Why would you do that? Why no would you do that? Oh, you're about to drench yourself? In some water in front of a whole group of people? That's dumb. Why not would you? You're going to tithe? You're going to give money to the church? That's, that's dumb. Again, the world will not understand our actions, and the world will think we are crazy. Simon thinks this woman has lost her mind. Well, Jesus knew his thoughts. So look at how he responds in verse 44. It says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she with tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. People are seeing the actions of this woman. They're seeing the actions of this woman and they're thinking how crazy she is. And I can see Jesus with a smile on his face. Just look at her and say, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. See, I'm wrapping up. But Simon, he, he brought Jesus to a meal. But he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. If he actually knew Jesus, his actions would have been much different. He, he didn't wash Jesus' feet. He didn't kiss him. He, he didn't anoint his head. He knew about Jesus, but he did not know him. But this woman, her actions proved her to be a follower of Christ. So my question to you this morning is, who are you more like in this story? Who are you more like in this story? Do your actions the way that you live your life, the way that you respond to things, do you look more like Simon in that you have knowledge of Jesus, but you don't really know him? Or do your actions prove that you don't just know about Jesus, but you know him in a personal way, in a very intimate way? When was the last time you poured yourself out to Jesus? When was the last time you expressed your love for Christ and the way in which this woman did through her actions? Because again, as followers of Christ, our actions, our actions should look much different than the actions of the people in this world. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, 
I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk. Maybe you came in today. You're carrying a lot on you. Maybe you you came in today and there's a lot of people who look at you the same way they were looking at this woman who was a sinner. Maybe you feel the same way this woman felt and you feel like the people around you have given up on you. Your family has given up on you. Maybe you've even given up on yourself. I want you to know today that God has not given up on you and he brought you here this morning so that you could hear that so that you could hear that he loves you he's got great plans for you he died for you and so if you want to respond to what he's done for you by giving him your heart by giving him your life by being saved today I'm going to ask that you just pray this prayer Father forgive me for all of my sins I need you Father to change me, not just into a a better version of the old me, but into a new person, a new me. Father, today, I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior, and I thank you for saving me. We're continuing to pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. But I wonder today that if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, if you prayed to be saved today, if you'd do me a favor and just lift your hand so that I can know God's moving. You prayed to receive Christ today. Amen. One, two, three. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. God is moving. God is working. God is real. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace. And I'm thankful for each person who's here. God, I just thank you for what we're about to do as we're about to see the actions of 11 individuals who have given their life to you. Father, I pray that as you look down from heaven, actually, Father, as you're here in this room, because you are with us, Father, I pray that you're pleased. Father, I just ask that you would continue to use Elevate Church. Thank you for what you're doing. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.